Let's Talk HR is a place for HR professionals, business owners, and employees to come together and share experiences, talk about what's working and what's not, how we can improve best practices so that companies can better attract, train, and retain all generations of workers. We all know that there has been a huge shift in what people want. Generations are coming together more than ever on what's important. Mental health has been brought to the forefront of everyone's mind. Let's humanize these conversations. Let's talk about how the economy has been impacted and what needs to happen to find a balance. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. So let's get this conversation started. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, follow us, like us, and share us. Today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Jonathan Heider. He is a professional motivational speaker and inclusion workshop leader with Split Star Productions. With a lifetime of experience as a congenital quad amputee, seasoned Paralympic swimmer, and accessibility designer, Jonathan brings a worldly perspective unmatched, fueled by his desire to trailblaze for future generations and those whose voices aren't heard. He has set out to be the change. Jonathan thrives to find unique and out-of-the-box solutions to overcome any form of obstacle that stands in his way. Alongside his mission statement of using what you've got and components of you, Jonathan's unique outlook and determination serves as a model. We are more than any one of our characteristics. And like I said, I have the honor and privilege of talking with him today. Not only have I had the opportunity to speak with him prior to this uh, conversation today, but I've, I've had the opportunity to learn from him. And I'm, I'm excited to get this conversation started. Jonathan, I am so excited to have you here today. Um, you and I have had the opportunity to talk you know, prior to this. And I just I think that you have an amazing background, some just amazing life experience. So thank you for taking the time to come on and talk with me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. I love your background as well and what you're doing to help humanize HR and bring people closer together. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. So I'm I'm excited to hear a little bit more about your story, you know, especially as a professional athlete, architect, and then to motivational speaker and everything in between. So why don't we start, well, start wherever you want with all of that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I guess I am kind of a jack of all trades. I've been jumping around a little bit. So my story is I was actually born in Croatia in the city of Split. Um, I was born a quad amputee, so all four limbs were shorter due to birth. Um, No one knows exactly why. Um, And so I was given up at birth and at 16 months old, I was adopted by a family out of Green Bay, Wisconsin and came to the United States. Uh, Growing up, I was this super high energy kid, like super ADHD, bouncing off the walls quite literally and jumping off of furniture, you know, you name it. And so needing to have an outlet, um, I got involved into sports. Um, That was a big thing, especially in our household in general. Um, as a family, my older siblings all played sports and so did my parents. So it just kind of came natural. So I did everything. I was, um, involved in wheelchair basketball, wheelchair rugby, wheelchair tennis, sitting volleyball, sled hockey, as well as swimming. And swimming was the one that, uh, really stuck with me. And so that one is the one that, you know, through my childhood took me 
not only to the national stage, but international stage as well as Paralympic swimmer. And so had the opportunity to live and train at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado for a few years. Um, and then kind of went from there with my career. And that's what launched the public speaking. And then following my life as a Paralympic swimmer, I got into college and got into public speaking even more with an agency eventually went independent launching my own business and worked as in architecture for about three and a half years. Um, so a little bit of everything um, along the way. Yeah. So you, um, and, and when we, we spoke, you know, prior to this, you, um, you left home to, to actually train um, at a, at a pretty young age. Tell me a little bit about that. So, yeah, since my kind of career in the uh, Paralympic swimming world was very young, I started off, you know, going to national competitions when I was 11 years old. And so it was something that took off rather quickly for me. Um, and eventually uh, I had applied or I had talked to initially the coach at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center for the Paralympic swim team uh, by the name of Jimmy Fowlers. And he had met me at a competition in Texas and said, hey, you know, I see your potential. I absolutely love what you do. and I want to coach you. And I said, awesome. And so it was early in 2008 that I had initially applied uh, for the position of a resident athlete at the training center. Didn't get in that time. And then I tried again for January of 2010. Didn't get accepted that time either. And then it was finally in... Uh, September of 2010 is when I got accepted. And so at that point, you know, I was only, you know, 17 years old, well, 16 years old at the time when I got accepted and then going into age 17 when I got there. And so I was very young. I mean, my career was very early in my life. And so I always had supportive parents. I mean, they have always supported all of us kids and our different adventures through whether we were sports or whether we were theater, we all kind of had our own little avenues. And so my parents were super supportive and loved, you know, they were all about, you know, staying active. That was the biggest thing that they always pushed growing up uh, was we want healthy, active kids and we want them to be able to really do that. And they saw my success and they saw my potential through being a Paralympic swimmer that helped me grow as a person um, in so many ways, including, you know, understanding kind of mental discipline, mental health, um, physical health, and so many other aspects. And so in a way, it was almost like a no-brainer for them that they saw what I could do. And so at 16 years old, they agreed to let me go to the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. And so, you know, there's a lot of precautions I went into place knowing that I was going to finish high school online through virtual Wisconsin education program, even though I was out in Colorado, uh, making sure that there were certain people, not only the coaching staff, but other people kind of, I would say, you know, kind of as a parental figure while I was out there. And so I um, laid that groundwork first. And then once everything was kind of laid out, then it was kind of like, yes, this is really the right thing for me to do and that they felt comfortable having me do this. And so it was a huge very quickly had to grow up, you know, um, it was, you know, how many people are set, you know, at 16 years old are set are told, Hey, you have a swim competition up in Toronto, December 6th through December 12th. You need to be there on the six and you need to be back in Colorado Springs by the 12th. You know, I was 16 years old. I had to figure out budgets. I had to figure out flights, I had to figure out, you know, uh, transportation to and from uh, the venues and all of that. You know, and that's something that like I expect a 16 year old to know budgeting and how to handle flights and all of that. And so 
Um, and then also maturity of, you know, being on the Team USA. You had to represent yourself in a certain way. You couldn't be childish. You had to be respectful. And so it was a huge growth spurt in a very, very short time um, into kind of becoming this very professional adult at 16 years old. And having parents who, you know, saw that not only this was something that you clearly wanted, it, it sounds like it was a very uplifting for your for your mental health for your I mean it sounds like it was just and and as a parent it would be very difficult for me to say sure honey go across the you know halfway across the country and and be that far away from me and study and and I I mean grow up without me in your life I, I that would be very difficult but the fact that they were willing to one put that trust in you to support you in the way that they did for you to have that growth and to be able to experience something that very very i mean an extremely small percentage of people have the ability to do and and again you were also able to experience life with other individuals who I'm sure we're experiencing life a little bit differently as as well, being a uh, a quadriplegic or having other um, what what would be the proper word for that? Well, with you know similar disabilities, I think you know our swim team out at the Olympic and Paralympic uh, Training Center were young. Um, I was not the only one who was underage. There were two other athletes who were underage who also went out there. Um, and so there's uh, the team of the swim team itself was um, there were about. Uh, there was a team of 12. Um, and so it was uh, six boys, six girls. Um, and so it was a good team. But it was, yeah, being able to be amongst peers, uh, very driven, very hardworking disabled athletes who, you know, took it upon themselves to be the best that they could be and see that their potential and really set everything else in their life aside to live this life, to really become this true world-class athlete. And so very inspired by everybody that I was living and training with um, because they also, like you had just mentioned, had come from that similar background of uh, self-determination and openness and being brought up, you know, you were talking a lot about my parents. Um, you know, they also had parents that said, you know, dream big and chase those dreams. Um, one of the athletes, she was um, over the age of 18 at the time, but um, one of the most incredible Paralympic swimmers of all times, Jessica Long, she went to her first Paralympic Games at age 11. And so for her to be able to tackle the world the way she did and to have her, you know, she was my inspiration um, in the way that, you know, her parents allowed, she was also adopted at a very young age and her parents, you know, gave her that foundation that she could chase her dream at such a young age and be successful. And so not only did I look up to her, but I got to train in the pool with her and be part of that community because she opened the doors um, so that I could do it at 16 myself. Right. And and to be so young and representing your country, representing, I mean, to be amongst the best in the world, I, I mean, that's just, it's an amazing, it had to have been an amazing experience. And the pride that you must have felt that you still, that you still feel from being able to to do that, I mean, anybody who's able to do that must feel is is I can't even I can't even begin to understand. I mean, I I get excited when I win, you know, a board game 
I can't imagine. <laughs> like, yay, I won. I do too. And, I'm not going to lie. I'm right there with you. I win in Candyland. I celebrate just as hard. I get it. I get it. <laughs> I mean, I am a wildly competitive person, but, you know, I can't, I can't begin to, you know, compare that to, to, to the, one of the best in the world. And that's, that's, you know, we all watch and we go, how, how are these, how are these individuals able to do the things that they do? And, and you're right, it, discipline, determination, you know, following your dreams and having the parents, having the, the coaches be the ones who are saying, yep, you can absolutely do this. So absolutely. Now, this brings me to what you, you decided to retire from swimming at 19. So tell me about that. I think, you know, it was one of those things. So I started off very young in this and it was kind of my entire life through, especially through middle school into high school, that it was, it was two a day swim practices. It was before school, after school, and then spending the weekends at competitions. And it was, that was my childhood in a way. Like I had friends, but my, my life was like priority number one is swim. And then if there's time after, then I could be with my friends. And so it kind of became very, I almost burnt out in that sense because I never had like a whole lot of like just fun social interaction, like going to parties, going to hang out with people. Cause it was always like swimming was number one. And so at that point, after just missing the team for the 2012 games, it became the point where it's like, all right, let's, you know, take a time out. Let's take time to understand like, what, what do I need to do? And like, I had the opportunity to continue but at that point, I'm like, you know, I would like to step back for a little bit, kind of go into a semi-retirement um, and start college. Because I think now I want to like I, I want to be a college student. You know, I want to do the college thing and I want to do what other people are doing my age and hearing about, you know, friends going to college and having parties and going and hanging out and being successful students. Like I wanted that same life. And so to kind of step back from that. Um, Paralympic world and just kind of become your average, you know, student in college was something that I then set my goals for. So not only were you, are you gifted with athletic ability, you then went and didn't choose to just get a, I'll get my, you know, bachelor's degree in, you know, business. You went and got your degree in architectural. Yeah. That <laughs> I agree. No, and that's and that's in and of itself is an entirely different world. And so, like, it is an insanely different program than any other program in college. You know, most people, you know, when you're in college, you take a bunch of you know exams and tests and write a lot of papers. In architecture college, it is you are creating projects. It is two, three projects per class per semester, in which you know, like, I remember like. Um, it's, you know, it's a lot of money too. Like I remember my final model for my senior year um, when I got all the receipts together, costed me about $2,200 to make the whole entire project. And so, you know, so it's like, yay, I don't have to study for a test, but like, you know, pay for a hundred dollar textbook or pay for a $2,200 model, you know? And so it was late nights, very late nights and early mornings, putting together laser cut models and uh, documents and drawings um, for every single project. And so it was, it was definitely a unique program and definitely, you know, a unique situation. I remember when I started college in the architecture program, they accepted 400 people into the program. 
And when I graduated in uh, in my senior year, we had a graduating class of 87. And so it, it's, I want to say not for the faint of heart, but, you know, I, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of dropouts and a lot of, you know, I, so many times and you felt for them, the, the heartbreak that they went through, you know, especially um, there were times where I've seen people put together models that were, you know, four or $500 and then accidentally fall off the edge of their table and completely go into a, just like a, just a pile of pieces everywhere and just like the heartache of the breakdown and the emotions of like why am I even still here admittedly there was a time where I broke one of my models luckily it wasn't like a full-on shatter across the floor but it, it, it is it is definitely not for the faint of heart and I think going through my life as the Paralympic swimmer and challenging those obstacles head-on I guess prepared me to be able to be successful in the architecture program. I was the only person with a physical disability going through this program. Um, and so to be able to kind of trailblaze the path that way and show like, hey, you know, I can do this too. It was an absolutely amazing, incredible opportunity to, um, you know, make it through the program. And so fortunately, not only was I in that top 97 to graduate, but out of the 97 who graduated, there was only about 25 people who had job offers from architecture schools or architecture firms in the Milwaukee area. And I was one of the 25 who had a job opportunity waiting upon graduation that I had proven myself time and time again that um, I was worth it. And so um, it's that taking that discipline and that challenge to show like this is my value and I can I can do it. The that's amazing. Not only amazing, because you, you graduated um, with your BS in, in architecture, a minor in um, minor in certification in real estate development. And, um, and you did that you you did that for a while. But why not stay in that in that field? I think one of the things that I understood was my purpose in life. And so I've been reflecting upon that my whole entire life. And my whole life has been about trailblazing the path through other through advocacy in accessibility um, in disabilities and several other components that help people have their voice heard. And so I still have a passion for architecture and design, and I still do a lot of design development um, things and help people out in that regard. But I needed to pick a different avenue to be successful with that. Um, and so, you know, I want to continue to advocate for accessibility and make um, facilities and spaces within our world more readily available and open for people of different backgrounds and create a more inclusive environment. But working within the architecture firm is not exactly the location that I truly believe I belong to follow my purpose. That, wow. Did you just read that? Because that could not be better stated. I mean, and and there are so many people who, I mean, you, you, clearly, you clearly wowed a company with your abilities you're obviously there they were probably looking at your academic what would it be academic uh accolades and accomplishments yes there we yeah. go academic accolades and accomplishments they offered you you know the position and often you know individuals especially younger individuals will find themselves at an impasse and go you know i it's not that i don't like what i'm doing but they have that either the angel or the devil on their shoulder saying one thing or another, you clearly had something on your shoulder saying, hey, this is not, you're great at it. 
this is not the path for you. And I talk to a lot of individuals who decide to go another path for one reason or another, which is why I asked you to come on and talk with me today, because you and I are very much like-minded in that. It took me years to figure out that I could do something with my story. I could yeah. offer more with, with what I have lived through. You are still at, at such a young age where you have so much more to offer the world, which is what brings you to where you are today. And being able to be a keynote speaker or teach other people so much more. And I would really love to hear about what drives you and how you, how you do that for others. Because your story is really one of inspiration. And, and I don't want to downplay that. I often get the, oh, this is, you know, Leanne Lovely. And she has bipolar. And, and that drives me crazy because I am not yeah. that. I am absolutely a million different things. And I want to be recognized as Leanne Lovely. And she is XYZ and, and ABC and all of the other things. And, and you and I had kind of talked about this a little bit in our pre-conversation that... You know, you don't want to be recognized for just one thing. Y you, you have, I mean, a million things in your tool belt that you can offer. But have you come up against that? So absolutely. And so you, you touch on a lot of big things. And so one of my biggest things through my life and through my business and why I started my business and why I continue to lead in my purpose is understanding the components of you. You talked about with you with you know, this is Leanne Lovely with bipolar. You are so much more than that. And same with my disability. You know, my disability is very obvious. You know, you see me, you see my limbs are missing. It's one of those things that's very obvious. And you're like, oh, that's Jonathan. He's a quad amputee. But like, there's so much more to a person. And so understanding the components that make up this person um, is, is truly what makes a person unique and humanizes them in that sense. And understanding like there are so many layers and so many levels to understanding this person. Um, and so one of the biggest things that I speak about is I, I take these components of you and I like to think of them as spices in a spice rack and that who you are is this big pot of chili and everything that makes up who you are is one of these spices on this, you know, spice rack. And so, you know, I, uh, I grab the spice that's, you know, my disability, put that in there, grab the spice that's a Paralympic swimmer, put that in there, grab the spice, um, you know, about being an architectural designer. And so all of these different spices come together and that makes up who you are. And so you're more than just that one spice. And so I think I definitely had dealt with that, especially having a disability that is so obvious that people saw that first and wondered, like, how are we going to overcome this? And so always trying to play one step forward. And so when I talked about the architecture firm that had an offer for me before graduating college, I had actually gone and done an externship with them during my college years and proved to them to be one step ahead of the game. I did a couple externships, but this one in particular uh, was the one that hired me. But during this extern, all of these externships, it was proving them like, hey, I can do this just fine. You know, this is all electronic. This is all done on the computer. Uh, let me let me show you. I can get these drawings done just as easily, if not more efficiently than the next person. And so it's it's that always having to prove myself. But taking that one step ahead of them to say, hey, let, let me show you, like, don't, you know, don't don't hold me back. You know, I'll, I'll be respectful of you and your boundaries, but like, just give me that chance. Let me let me just prove to you real quick 
that I can do this. And so that's definitely been something that I've had to overcome is with having such a obvious disability that um, people, you know, first question and then, you know, seeing that I take the reins, they sit back and watch for a second. They're like, oh, okay, he's got this. And so um, understanding those components that make up who you are and respecting, you know, all of these incredible things that um, make up a person. And it, it not, like I said, humanizes them, as you like to say um, with your podcast here. And so it's important to understand, you know, I'm more than just my disability. I'm more than just an architectural designer. I'm more than just a keynote speaker. I'm more than just a workshop facilitator. I'm more than just, you know, a Croatian-born American. There's so many different co components that make up who I am. And I think humanizing that and respecting what's all on my spice rag and what's all in this pot of chili um, is what makes, I think, all of us great. And once people start to understand and see these different components that are on the spice rack, it helps them then have that humanized connection to the person and see, OK, you know, you may you know, you may have a disability or something else or, you know, you may have, you know, be bipolar. But like, let, let's let's get to know the person first and understand this person on that human level and see that they're pretty amazing and they're a pretty spectacular person to get to know. And it's, it's, it's so awesome that you, that you say that. And, and I love the analogy of, you know, a pot of chili because um, so often we do as humans, um, we take a, we take a glance at somebody and um, automatically make an assumption very quickly. We make an assumption whether it be because of the way they look, whether it be because of, uh, you know, simply the, the first interaction that we have with somebody, we quickly, as humans, have made assumptions. And that's something that yeah. we have to get away from doing. We have to be able yeah. to open our hearts, hearts and minds to um, a wide variety of different things. And I think that people are starting to understand that more and more as time has gone on, especially over the last, you know, two years have, you know, we've all experienced this a lot more. I think that we've all opened up our minds a lot more. There has been so many different things that even myself that I have ch had to check my own brain and go, wait a second, I'm making an assumption of somebody and I've never even had a conversation with them. It's as simple as me assuming that I should go and open a door for somebody because I think that they need help. Now, it's not me trying to be, you know, now let me, let me premise this by saying, you know, I'm not trying to be rude, but, you know, you, you see somebody and you go, oh, well, they can't open their own door. But that may be an insult to some people of, no, I can do it myself. Now, I'm not saying, you know, don't open a door for an old lady if, you know, but, <laughs> you know. But I think. Yeah, I think with that statement, I think part of it is just also being um, respect, respectful of people, you know, you know, in society, you know, opening a door for somebody has always been a sign of generosity and respect. Um, and so that is one of the things that I've learned over my life is like not to be openly offended by somebody doing something in such a kind gesture because they're trying their best to accommodate you and be respectful of you. And that's something that I always take in mind. And so, but although like I can perfectly open a door for myself, if someone goes ahead and does it, I'm not going to like chop their head off for doing so because I see the kind gesture. I see the kindness and I see the respect and the generosity that they are offering. And I know that it's coming from a place of love and respect. 
and not as a place of, well, you can't do this. You know, there are certain situations where, you know, sometimes it, it is offensive. There are times when, like, uh, in my when I used to have a manual wheelchair, I have a power chair now, but when I have a manual wheelchair and I'd push myself across the street, I did have handles on the back of the chair. And every now and then there would be somebody who, like, as I'm, like, crossing the street, somebody would just grab the handles and, like, start pushing me, and it frightened me. I mean, like, you're basically, I'm going to say, in control of some somebody else is controlling you. And so in situations like that, you know, having a very kind, respectful, like, hey, I've got this, you know, that's a little disrespectful. It's like pretty much picking somebody up and carrying them across the street when they didn't have to be. It's like kidnapping them in a sense. But, you know, it's, it's having that communication with them in a respectful manner to say, hey, you know, please respect my boundaries. Um, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but that is overstepping. Um, thank you for your assistance, but this is something I'm able to do. And so having those open conversations um, is huge because it shows that, like, again, humanization. You want to have a human contact with that person to say, hey, you know, these are my limitations and this is what I can and cannot do. And so I appreciate what your efforts are and your kindness, but this is something that I would feel more appropriate to handle myself. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I've never I've never heard anybody describe it that way because I'm assuming the, the person who did that was like, oh, I'm going to help this person. But, yeah, you basically they're kidnapping you. I mean... <laughs> I guess I've never heard it. It would be equivalent to, you know, I, oh, hi, I'm Leanne. I have bipolar disorder and somebody basically opening my mouth and shoving pills down it and go, here, let me get you your medication. Well, wait. Yeah, no, exactly. Wait. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much like, okay, well, um, didn't ask for that, but thank you. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and, and having these conversations and letting people know that, hey, and you had mentioned it. Yes, your disability is something that people can see. Mine is is not. My you know my disorder is something that people cannot see. But having right. these conversations and, and making people realize that just because it's it's visible doesn't mean that you have to assume that I'm not. And you clearly are very capable of taking care of yourself. A Paralympic athlete. Uh, you went to college um, on your own. I mean, these are all things that are very huge indicators of somebody who is very much 100% self-sufficient in multiple ways. And that is the thing that people need to start getting past is that, you know, if I'm if I'm a blind individual and I have been, say, since I was born, you would have to make the assumption that I am 100% capable of living alone in my own home. But don't come into my home and move my couches around. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that's it's funny you say that. And I think one of the questions I get all the time with people is like, wow, how do you how do you manage to get around? How do you manage to do this? And so as somebody who was born with my situation, it's like, well, this is all I've ever known. You know, it's like, you know, it's like if I was born, you know, with four arms instead of two arms, you know, when I turned to you and I said, wow, Leanne, how do you function in life with only two arms? Like, that must be hard. That must be extremely difficult to live a life with. And you're like, well, um, I was, this is the way I know. Like, I was only born with two arms. And so I kind of look at it in that same regard. Um, and especially like you said about uh, <laughs> the furniture situation. I mean, that's kind of my thing too. It's like, I am fully capable and independent in the house that I live in because I have made it modified for myself, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, please, please don't like move my shower head <laughs> like, cause it's down low so I can reach it. 
Um, you know, um, you know, like, or the other day, quite literally, like one of the shirts I'm wearing now, um, I had housekeeping come and do my laundry and she unbuttoned all my shirts and like, like how much of a pain in the ass it is for me to rebutton my shirts. And it's just like, please don't unbutton my shirts. Like I'll just put them on like a, like, like a t-shirt, like how it's like, just like, you know, like you said, you know, for a blind person, don't come in and move my couch. Like, just like, right. you know, understand, right. like, I'm self-sufficient because I've made things in such a way that work for me and to be able to, you know, get dressed and live, you know, take a shower in the way that I can. Right. 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 You know, and that it, you mentioned buttoning your shirt. That's something that I never would have in a million years thought of. But again, yeah, you've modified and you, this is something you've lived with your whole life. You've modified. These are the things that, you know, for me, I take 100% for granted. For you, you, same thing, somebody who is colorblind. I mean, don't go in their closet and move their clothes into different sections. I mean, because exactly. I've, I've talked to people who are colorblind and they're like, oh, yeah, I have somebody line up and then mark all of my clothes so that I know what color is so i'm not walking out of the house wearing you know purple and and whatever color but if you move them around hey yeah. i'm not gonna match and it's like oh that that could be a funny joke to play on somebody who's colorblind well not really funny but again we we as humans modify our lives to fit the way that we live yeah. and it's just as simple as that you you know and and unless you're asking for help and i say this the same with advice Unless you're asking for help or advice, don't be one of those people who go and just give it. Absolutely. I think, you know, unless it's one of those things that like unsolicited advice can be harmful, especially even if it's someone close, you know, that some you, people always have boundaries, even if it's, you know, a significant other and they give you unsolicited advice, you kind of want to you know, throw them in <laughs> into the wall a little bit. But like, <laughs> even the people who are the most closest to you, you, you respect the boundaries and you wait until they ask you like, hey, I need your help. You know, then at that point, you you come to them with open arms and say, here's, here's how I can help. And so, yeah, I think that's super important, respecting those boundaries and the people that are around you. Absolutely. I know that there's been multiple times that my husband wants to throw me across the room because he's like, I... I was just telling you, I, I didn't ask for advice, and I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, yep, sorry, honey. And he's like, now I just don't even feel like wanting to talk about this anymore. And I'm like. Right. Well, and that's exactly it. And that's a situation as you go into shutdown mode when right. there's unsolicited advice is then it, it kind of creates that barrier and creates um, that strain on, you know, what you are trying to accomplish. And yeah. so it kind of, then you get in your head a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. So tell me a little bit more about your, I mean, about Split Star. Tell, I mean, I, I'd love to hear about that. Uh, yeah, so Split Star is my own business that I opened up um, a couple of years ago now. Uh, I had left the agency when the pandemic first hit. And then that's when I decided to kind of go my own direction. Um, and so I do keynote speaking, workshop facilitation, and then for larger business or medium to large businesses, nonprofits, as well as colleges and universities, I do op um, open the opportunity for business coaching for them, for not individuals, but for the businesses themselves. Um, so my focus is a lot on diversity and inclusion. I talked a lot about earlier about the components of you, and that is a big part that I talk about um, in understanding 
what advocacy is. And one of the biggest things for me was split star is advocacy starts with you. Um, you cannot create cultural change. You cannot create opportunities uh, for more inclusive environment without advocating for yourself first. Um, you know, you talk about a lot with, you know, your situations and it's, it's all about, you know, advocating for you first and then putting that out into the world as opposed to looking externally towards trying to adapt the world before you. You know, we were just talking about, you know, within the own household. That's a perfect example there about how I have my shower head at a certain height. I have my shirts all buttoned already. You know, advocating for yourself and making the world work for you as opposed to forcing the world to change. You have to adapt to the world around you through using what you have available. And so that is the biggest thing that I speak about and how you can take the components that who, of who you are and utilizing what you've got in your own pot of chili and what's on your spice rack to make the best of your situation. And so I do that through the keynote speaking, the work chef facilitation and the business consulting. That's amazing. God, everything that you said, I want to, I want to sign up. I want to see you speak. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's, it's everything that I, and we talked about, you know, being very much um, like-minded and it's just, it's awesome. That's, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. I love, like I said, your, your, your approach to life. And, you know, I, I think humanization is such a thing when it comes to improving society and creating that cultural change. That is the more we humanize people and see them for all the components that make up who they are, I think we're able to relate to people more and have a better understanding and um, respect people on a higher level because we can see where they are coming from. Yes. And the more that businesses start to understand that each employee that work at their organization are individuals, the more that they will retain their employees and that they will, yeah. um, that, that the culture shift will happen and that employees will find that true happiness within organizations. It's just, you know, and I, preach that constantly about, you know, you, if, if you want to retain, you want a happy work environment, you have to stop treating them like the masses and start treating them yeah. as individual people. And it's not that difficult. It's just a simple, you know, recognition that they're appreciated for who they are, you know, not just what they do. Yeah, they punch in. absolutely. And I think that's the individuality part of it. And I think we're in a, such a big age right now where diversity is a big thing. And diversity is important, too, um, you know, to have a diverse background of people on staff, you know, whether you have, you know, somebody with a disability, someone who is, you know, black or Asian or somebody who's, you know, an older person, a younger person. You want to have that diversity, but it's also important to then take a moment and reflect on what's beyond just that person who might be disabled and understanding what they also bring to the table besides the fact that you can brag that you have a disabled person on staff is like this person also has a lot of incredible skills um, and, you know, creating like in that humanization, that individuality of the components that make up who they are. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I talk I, I, I spoke with um, in one of my episodes, his name is Ellie Rivera and um, Ruben Guyona. And I, I talked to them about a, a program called The Way Out. And they advocate for um, individuals who are previously incarcerated. Um, and they, okay. they work with companies on trying to help those companies um, hire in, you know, individuals who are really trying to um, get their life back on track, find opportunities. And that key point that you just said, it's, it's not about 
an individual or a company saying, hey, we hire, you know, previously incarcerated individuals and just putting that tax credit on their on their or having that tax credit. It's about truly, you know, wanting to help that individual and that individual truly wanting to change their life and then understanding that they are an individual and that they, you know, that they want to have a, a true career. Yeah. And that's that that should be the the standard, you know, the gold standard for every diverse individual that you hire. It shouldn't be about, oh, yep, we are a diverse company because we have, you know, all of these different backgrounds. It should it, it should be about, hey, we we have all these diverse individuals who can bring X, Y, Z to the table because they may see this different or they may bring mm-hmm. this to the table. And I'm so tired of the companies or companies putting that stamp of approval because, hey, we just hired this person with, you know, a disability or we, we you know, have military and we are going to, you know, showcase that we have a veteran on staff purely mm-hmm. for the the PR move of that. Well, it's tokenizing is what you're doing. It truly what you're doing is tokenizing um, and trying to remove the concept of tokenization. Um, is I think key to move forward as a society. So this has been an awesome conversation. I can't believe that we are already coming to time. So I have one more question, which is the question of the season. If you could pinpoint a time period in your career that made a huge difference in your life or career path, when would that be and why? Um, let's see. I mean, there have been so many uh, pinpoints of career pivots in my life. Um, but I think one of the points I had mentioned, I think one of the biggest points right off the bat, um, you know, was, um, back in 2008 when I met Jimmy Flowers and I just was this kind of this high energy kid that, you know, yes, I was involved in Paralympic swimming, but for him to say, I see your potential, I see what you can do and introducing me to say, Hey, I want you at the Olympic and Paralympic training center, I think was, one of the biggest, I think, is the biggest pivoting points in my life because that helped teach me discipline and respect and um, helped me um, kind of shape my purpose into advocating and trailblazing because since he believed in me that I could be at the caliber to li- live amongst the great at the training center, um, helped me shape um, the future that I knew that through being a successful athlete at the Paralympic Training Center, that I was then going to be able to be a successful architect, architectural designer and complete architecture college, that I could then open up my own business at the discipline that he taught me. Um, and being at the Olympic and Paralympic Training Center, I don't think any of this would have happened if I didn't have that conversation with him back in 2008. That's awesome. People always come into our lives um, at the right time. Usually it is when we are, you know, much more seasoned in our career. But for you, it was at a, at a young, impressionable age. And, you know, you really started your career path when you were a very young, you know, kid. Yeah. Um, And, and that is, is extremely unique. Um, You know, you obviously, you grew up fast, but that it really paved the way for you to, you know, eventually have your own business. And, and that's amazing. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Your story is definitely unique and I love it. 
Well, I appreciate it. And and so is yours. And, and so I, I admire, like I said, what you're doing to uh, bring a new perspective into HR and to people to create this, like I said, I, a new outlook that they may not have, um, you know, looked before. I think that's absolutely phenomenal with what you do as well. Well, thank you. And if people are looking to reach out to you for, you know, your workshop, your, um, you know, to bring you on in as a speaker, how would they go about doing that? Absolutely. So um, my website is uh, split-star.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn um, as well as Instagram at splitstar. Um, I also have my own LinkedIn page is Jonathan Hyder. So you're more than welcome to uh, find me any of those places. Um, again, the website is split-star.com. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It's been an amazing conversation, just like all the other, con or just like the other conversation that we had. So um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you as well. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.